Our gracious Father, thank you that all of our lives you have been faithful. And all of our lives you have been good. And Lord, there are days, weeks, seasons, times where it doesn't always feel that way. But you've given us your word so that we can hear your voice and know that the promises that you have made us, you are never going to fail to keep. And the gift of grace that you've given us in your Son has given us access to your throne to find the help we need. I pray, my King, as we seek you this morning, as we turn our hearts and our minds and our thoughts and our emotions towards hearing what your word would tell us, that we would hear well and that you would be glorified in our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. So thus far in Luke, we talked about ministry back in the first three verses. Then we looked at the parable of the sower and the four kinds of soil and why it's so important for us to understand the parable of the sower because by that parable, we can understand all the other parables. Then, last week, we made it through a whole three verses looking at light how light reveals, or how by light we see, and by that light when we see it reveals, and what reveals has um, repercussions. Not always bad, right? Because the light can shine on many good things, but has repercussions nonetheless. Then in verse 19, it says, Then his mother and brothers came to him and could not approach him because of the crowd. And it was told him by some who said, Your mother... And your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered and said to them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Now, James 1, 22 through 25, this is a, ver a passage that's come up a lot. Don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself walk away and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Now, as this has come up multiple times over the last few weeks, I'm getting the inkling from the Spirit of God that we need to hear the Word of God and do it. Throwing that out there. Right? You, you see, wonder what I do in my office all week? I sit there and I contemplate these things. Um, because I don't think God warns us needlessly. We talked about that a few weeks ago on Wednesday night when God warned Solomon. Solomon, as most of you should know, I hope, um, if you don't know, go back and read 1 Kings. It's incredible what Solomon accomplished by the grace of God. Israel at the zenith of its power. Solomon, probably the wealthiest man to ever live. Not the wealthiest king in ancient times, but probably the wealthiest man to ever live. 700 wives, 300 concubines. That's not a good thing. It just gives you an idea of the opulence that he had. They the, the got to the point, we, we read in First Kings a week or two ago, um, it got to the point where there was so much gold in the land that silver was like rocks. It just, it was worthless because there was so much gold. Everything he ate off of or ate with or drank out of was gold. He made a throne, had it carved of ivory. And then, because having a throne carved of ivory wasn't enough, he covered that throne in gold. Just giving you an idea. Now, God warned Solomon. Warned all the kings, don't multiply for yourselves gold. And Solomon did. He warned the kings. This is all back in the book of Deuteronomy. Don't go back to Egypt to multiply horses. And he had tens of thousands. And then he warned the kings, don't multiply for yourselves wives, lest they turn your heart away from me. And he didn't listen. And he warned him. When, when Solomon asked for wisdom, God said, I'll give it to you. Walk in my statutes. After the dedication of the temple, God appeared to him again and said, I will gladly put my name here 
but you walk in my statutes. And this past Wednesday, we studied chapter 11 of 1 Kings, where Solomon failed. Now, everybody fails, but Solomon failed good. Don't get me wrong, we, we all do. 700 wives, 300 concubines, to the point where, for all of them, right? The chapter 11 starts off with, Solomon loved many foreign women. And they turned his heart away from God. He started making idols for his wives. He started worshiping on the high places. And some of the idols, or at least one of the Molech that he created for his wives, was an idol that, according to the, the pagan rituals, required child sacrifice. And it said Solomon participated, burning incense on the high places, so on and so forth, because God warned him, and he didn't listen. So over the last few weeks, really probably over the last month, over and over and over again, I've noticed a pattern that I am constantly bringing up James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25, that we need to be doers of the word and not hearers only. And then I got to our passage today. I actually originally planned to go farther, and that didn't work. So I got to our passage today, and I read it, and we hear it again, this time from the mouth of our Savior, my mother and my brothers are these who hear the word of God and do it. And so it brought up two things that I wanted to focus on this morning. One is Jesus' mother and brother. So we're going to talk about kingdom family. And two, to hear the word of God and obey it. We're going to talk about it again. And I, Paul, when he wrote, um, one of the people he wrote, he basically he told them that he was repeating himself. And he said, but that's okay. It's good for me to repeat myself because it's, it's profitable, it's needful for you and profitable for me. It doesn't matter how many times we hear the same thing. It's okay. It's good for us. And I think God keeps bringing this up because he wants us to hear it. And we're going to talk about why. So let's look specifically at our scene, verses 19 through 21. We'll go back and we'll read it again. Then his mother and brothers came to him and could not approach him because of the crowd. And it was told him by some who said, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered and said to them, My mother and my brothers are these who hear the word of God and do it. Now, we are not given um, why his mother and brothers were seeking him. We know in other places that they, they tried to get to him because they thought he was insane. Um, they, they had problems with it. We were talking about this. We had our family devotions yesterday. Because at the beginning, even though Mary believed, his brothers did not. And there's one section, if you go read the opening verses of John chapter 7, they, his brothers said, well, why don't you go up to, it was the Festival of Tabernacles, if I remember correctly, why don't you go up to the feast and, and show all these miracles so that your disciples and other people can believe in you? And Jesus looked at him and said, no. Right? He didn't say it that way, but no, it's, it's not time. But he did go up to the feast because it was commanded in the law. He just didn't go up publicly and with a lot of spectacle like his brothers wanted him to. But they can't get to him because of the crowd. So he's apparently inside. We're not told where. And both his mother and brothers are outside trying to get to him. Other people hear this and they tell him. And his response is beautiful. But I want to bring up one thing. Uh, there are some who will pray to Mary. Right? This often happens in Roman Catholic Church. And they say that Mary has special access to Jesus that we don't have, so we can pray to her. Well, here she couldn't even get in the house. And when Jesus was told, he didn't say, oh, everybody move, everybody move, my mother's coming in. What did he say? My mother and brother is those who hear the word of God and do it. If she doesn't have special access here, pretty sure she's never had special access. Now, we're not insulting Mary. Right? God worked through her in a mighty way. Um, but we don't pray to Mary. Second, that same group of folks says that Mary never had other children. Now, I'm just going to throw this out there. I took sixth grade health. And if Jesus had brothers, 
That means Mary had other kids. And you can go back to Mark chapter 6 and it named. She, he had four brothers and at least two sisters. Um, but when he's told, so let's get back. When he's told, your mother and brother, they're outside, they're trying to get to you. He looks around and he said, my mother and my brothers are all those who hear God's word and obey it. Now, I don't believe that Jesus is denying the existence of his family. I don't believe that Jesus is claiming that he has no relationship with them. We know that Jesus maintained a relationship with his biological family throughout his ministry. We see it a lot in the book of John. Chapter 2, he was at a wedding along with his mother. Chapter 7 of John, the incident I just talked about where he was talking with his brothers. And then in chapter 19, where he asked John the Apostle to care for Mary while he was hanging on the cross. So he did not deny, he's not denying the existence of his biological family. He's not saying, no, I don't have a mother, or I don't have brothers, right? He treated his mother with respect. And we do also know that later on, two, at least two of Jesus' half-brothers, they became leaders in the early church, and we have two books of the Bible because of them, the book of James and the book of Jude. And thankfully, they believed eventually. Now, it took his resurrection, but we're not going to fault them. It took his resurrection for us to believe too. So I don't think Jesus is denying biological family, nor do I think he's teaching us that we should deny our biological family. Yes, we are to love him first. The Bible tells us that very clearly, right? It says if you don't hate your mother, your father, your brothers, and so on, you cannot be my disciple. Now, is Jesus teaching us to hate? Obviously not, because Jesus has taught us over and over and over again to love. It's a comparison. Jesus is to have such a preeminent place in our lives that our other relationships should look like hate compared to the love we have for him. Because I love my children desperately. I love my wife desperately. I love my mom. She's sending us pictures. She's back in New York. Well, technically, she's in Canada. Um, uh, you went to see Niagara Falls in Montreal. She's sending us these pictures. She's having a good time. I love my mother. But if there was ever a time where I was forced to choose, I pray God, God, by God's grace I would choose Jesus. Because he is to have that preeminent place. So I asked myself a question and then kind of launched from there. Who is our family? Of course we have biological families. I've just been talking about that. And we should seek within our biological families to have a positive Christ-centered relationship. We're told in 1 Timothy 5, verse 8, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So we are told very clearly, not only do we have families, but we are to care for our families. Right? It's is right there in the word. Jesus had a huge problem with the Pharisees because he said that they were making the law of God of no effect by their tradition. According to the law of God, you were supposed to care for your parents, to love and respect and care for your parents. But what they did is they took all their money and they said, we're going to dedicate it to the temple. Now, what that meant is that they didn't actually give it to the temple, but they took all that money and they put it in their will. When I die, it goes to the temple. But what that meant was, while they were alive, the money was still theirs to use as they pleased. And if their parents needed help or caring for, they would look at their parents and go, oh, sorry, it's Korban. It's dedicated to the temple. I can't, I can't use it to take care of you. And what they were saying, Jesus told them, is you are breaking the law to try to enact this foolish tradition. Now, we know... Having family is not always easy. Anybody? Right? If your family's picture perfect, never have any problems, good for you. Um, there's going to be times when having family is difficult. We were talking a little bit about it this morning. Uh, there's going to be times maybe when your family doesn't understand your faith or your family doesn't understand your choices in following Christ. There's going to be times where um, maybe there's political differences, or maybe there's, there's just uh, cultural differences. Uh, have you ever met a couple that have been married from two vastly different backgrounds? 
I'm not saying those people shouldn't get married. I'm just saying you got to think about that. Before you get married, I've used this example before, but in my family, we eat off each other's plates. That's part of our cultural background. My wife's family did not do that. No. One time, when we were early dating, and I, I, we were eating, and I, I don't know why, maybe I was out, but I reached over and I ate something off her plate, and you would have thought I jumped on the table and started doing a dance or something. Her parents were like, <gasps> they were like shocked. Like what? She had meatloaf. I wanted it. <laughs> you know, when we have birthdays in our house, everybody gets a slice of cake, and then we used to sit around and just eat the cake out of the pan. That's just the way we are. Um, her family was not like that. It was a cultural difference. And, and uh, the bad culture of my family won over the etiquette of her family in the long run. Um, right, so maybe it's something little. Maybe it's something big. But we have families. It's not always going to be easy. Now, there are times, and I know this is hard, but there are times when you do, even though they're biologically family, you have to cut that relationship off. Maybe if you're talking about some sort of abuse. Or, or something along those nature. And then <laughs> Amy's like, yeah, that was right. <laughs> something along that nature. Because just because they're biological family doesn't mean they're good for you. <laughs> and and I'm, not, I'm not encouraging you to do that. I'm not saying if you had a fight with your, your brother that you should you never talk to them again. I'm not saying anything like that. But sometimes that happens. And that's a different story. But for the most part, we are to be engaged with our biological families, hopefully because we're all Christians and brothers in Christ and sisters in Christ and we're, we're on our way to eternity together, or if not, because we are there to be a light, to share the gospel with our families. Now, sharing the gospel with your family is hard. I have, by God's grace, led complete strangers to Christ. Complete strangers. And I have multiple family members who refuse to listen to me when it comes to the gospel. But that's okay. I still love them. Ephesians 2, 19 through 22 says this. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Because we have a kingdom family. And our kingdom family goes beyond our biological relationships. There are three people in this building right now that I am biologically related to because I gave them some of my DNA. You're welcome. But I am not biologically related to the rest of you unless we go all the way back to Noah. Because somewhere back, I mean, we're all cousins 12,000 times removed at this point. But theoretically, right, we all came from Adam and Eve and then we all came from Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. But you know what I'm talking about. You're not my biological family, but you are my family. Period. And I know that. I hope you think the same way of one another. I've been in foreign countries where I've met followers of Christ, some of whom we didn't even share the same language. But I could worship with them because we were family. Kind of interesting. Now, we're hopefully much closer than I would be with those folks, but if I spent enough time with them, then I'd be just as close to them, I hope, as I am with you. Because that is what we're called into. And for some people, that is astounding because they had a horrible biological family. Some of us maybe had good biological families, but they weren't Christians, and so now we have a family where we can focus on Christ together. Some of us were raised in a Christian home. I wasn't, but some of us were raised in a Christian home. And then we still had to find our kingdom family or become part of it on our own. 
I think about that with my kids all the time. Um, and I'm very grateful because when they were small, they went to church. Why? They didn't have a choice. I would never got up when, when they were three, four, five years old. Do you guys want to go to church? No, you want to stay home and watch, you know, JJ the jet plane? Okay. No, it was Sunday. We went to church. Then a few years ago, our son moved out. It's so fun that you're here today for this. A few years ago, our son moved out, and what I started praying was, because um, up to that point, his faith was our faith. He had no choice. He went to church because we told him to. Right? Don't know what he believed. Why? He said what he believed. Oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Why? Because we told him he believed in Jesus. And he better believe in Jesus if he knew what was good for him. But eventually he moved out. And our prayer became that he would find his own faith. That he didn't go to church because we made him, but because he wanted to. That he didn't fellowship with other believers because we told him he had to, but because he realized his need for it. That he didn't read the Bible because it was part of him being homeschooled, but he read his Bible because he wanted to hear the voice of God. And there he is. And we praise God for that. And we're watching it happen with our other two, um, even though they still live at home. But we don't force them to do things for the kingdom. They do it because they don't want to pay rent. <laughs> but we don't force them. The point I'm getting at is we have a kingdom family. All of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, by our obedience to the gospel, according to 2 Corinthians 9.13, are now part of the family of God. We have been adopted as his children, 1 John 3, 1-3, and a bunch of other places. We have been made heirs with his son, Jesus. Romans 8.17 says that. And as such, we are brothers and sisters in Christ, and as we walk together with him and one another, we are family. 1 Corinthians 12, 24-26 says, the body is the, But God composed the body, having given greater honor to the part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. As the family of God, joined together by the gospel and by God's spirit, Jesus said there would be an identifying characteristic of those who were his family. But I want to go back to just a second, to this beautiful comment that when one suffers, we all suffer. And when one is honored, we're all honored. It's, it's a beautiful thought. Now, when somebody in our church is suffering, we have a choice. We can go, well, I'll pray for you. And then if you're anything like me, right? I'm, you know I'm honest. If you're anything like me, you forget until you see them walking in church. Or you see them at the store and they're just like, oh, dear, being so-and-so because they were dying. Um, please help them out, Father. Hey, I've been praying for you. How you doing? Right? Anybody? Am I the only one? Right? You guys are all like, no, I'm on my knees 12 hours a day. I do it all the time. Or I get a call from somebody, and they're calling me. I'm like, oh, I was supposed to be. I say a prayer. I ask the boy, hey, I've been praying for you. How you doing? Please forgive me. I've done it to all of you at some point. I promise. Because uh, if I don't write stuff down and, and tell my wife, I just forget but do we just do that? Oh, I'll just pray for you. You know, it'll be okay. Or do we want to step up and walk with them through it? Do we, are we willing to suffer together? And I'll tell you something. I'm going to be careful. I'm going to start crying. Over the last week, there's been people who have suffered with me. And I'm very grateful for it. I'm fine. Family's fine. But over the last week, there's been people who have suffered with me. And I am just overwhelmed with gratitude for that. But at the same time, we rejoice together. If you hear about what, one of the things uh, that we do at CR is, you know, we give out the chips. 
If you're a first-time person, you get a chip. If you made it through the first month, you get a chip. If you have two months, three months, all the way up to a year, two, uh, then 18 months, two years, three years, four years, five years, you get a chip and a chip. You bring a friend, you get a chip. And why? Because if you came to CR for the first time, then we are going to celebrate with you. Because you took that first step. If you came to CR and you made it through a whole month, then we're going to celebrate with you. Because you made it. Right? If you fall back, if you have a trouble, if, if, you, if you make a mistake, then we're going to walk with you and we're going to suffer with you. And then when you get back on, we're going to rejoice with you again. That's the whole point of CR. But we do that as a body of Christ. You know, I have, I have friends in multiple states. I even have friends in multiple countries, um, many of whom are in ministry. And, and I, will, I will get an email from... Um, uh, I talk about my, my brother Carlito in, in uh, the Philippines quite often and I'll get an email from him and he'll tell me you know we had our kids camp and he'll send me a picture and all these kids from the neighborhood came and we shared the gospel and you know multiple kids got saved and some of them got baptized and I will sit there with joy and tears in my eyes rejoicing over the work that God did on the other side of the, country, uh, the other side of the world I don't care that it didn't happen here because he's my family and we're part of the same body, and I rejoice with him. And then I come back and I tell him about things that happen here, about things that God has done. I'll tell him about camp or whatever it might be, and he'll rejoice with me. That's what it means to be a family. We don't get jealous. I don't look at another church where God is working and doing wonderful things and go, stupid people, why isn't God doing that here? Well, because maybe God's got something he's going to do there and he wants to do something different here or vice versa. I don't care. I rejoice. I don't get angry or jealous. Because that's what it means to be part of the family of God. I'm going to say one more thing and then we're going to move on because we have a lot to cover. Um, and that other thing is too many of us as followers of Christ try to do it alone. Too many of us try to do it alone. And that is not what we were meant to do. And I know asking somebody for help or telling somebody what's wrong requires you to be vulnerable. And nobody likes that. Anybody really like being vulnerable? See? Exactly. Right? Nobody really likes being vulnerable. Telling somebody that you're struggling with somebody requires them to be able to see into part of you that you probably don't want them to see. But that's okay. Because we're family. You come and tell me what you're struggling with, I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to throw you out of the church. I'm not going to tell you you're going to hell. Now, if you don't know Jesus, I might tell you you're going to hell unless you come to know Jesus. But that's because it's my... It's what the Bible says. But I'm not... I'm not going to look at you and go, Oh, you committed a sin? Ha <laughs> ha! Get out of our church! Because you know, I'm perfect. Thank you for chuckling. Y'all know I ain't perfect. And I know you're not perfect. And if you come and tell me you're not perfect, it's not going to be a surprise. Just like you're not surprised when I tell you how imperfect I am. But if you don't tell me what's going on, I can't pray for you. Even if it means I only pray for you when you call me to give me an update because I'd forgotten up to that point. But if you don't tell us as a family what's going on, then we can't walk with you. We can't support you. We can't encourage you. And vice versa. I'm not telling you that as soon as service is over and you're sitting out there at potluck and you're noshing on some meatballs or, or chicken enchiladas or, or, or whatever else is good sitting out there, that you have to look at the person across from you and tell them everything you've ever done wrong. I'm not saying you have to do that. But if you're struggling and you need help, or you just don't want to do it alone, which none of us should, that's why we're here. Not just why I'm here, that's why we're here. Now, those who are part of the family of God, according to what Jesus said here, share an identifying characteristic. My mother and my brothers are all those who hear God's word and obey it. Defining characteristic. How do you know if somebody's a Broncos fan? They've been walking around hanging their heads in shame lately. That's how you know they're a Broncos fan, right? 
No, what, what's what's going to be? They're going to have a bright orange shirt with a horse head on it and, and, and or maybe a Broncos Nation license plate rim. Who knows? How, how do you know that somebody maybe loves music? Maybe they're walking around with a guitar on their back or they're always singing a song. How do you know somebody is a nerd? Well, they're constantly quoting Lord of the Rings and telling you how excited they are to watch the Ahsoka series on Disney+. Plus. I don't, I don't know anybody like that. Right? There's an identifying mark. What was that? Yes, you do. It's Aaron. Everybody, everybody knows it's Aaron. Um, but see, I have to wait until the whole thing is released. I can't watch it one episode at a time. It drives me nuts. Um, so my mother and my brothers are those who hear God's word and obey it. The word for obey here is poieo. And it means, it has a vast array of meanings, actually. Um, it means to make or do, to abide, agree, commit, content, to continue, to not have any delay, to exercise, to execute, exercise, fulfill, keep, observe, ordain, perform, and purpose. It's all got a lot of meanings, a lot of ways to translate it. It's compared with another uh, word in the Greek, proso. And that word means to practice, more specifically to perform something repeatedly and habitually. To perform something repeatedly and habitually. So in obeying the word of God, right? The word of God says, love your neighbor. Yeah, I did that once 27 years ago. I'm good. No, it means you love your neighbor repeatedly and habitually. The word of God says, let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth, but that which would impart grace to the hearers. You know, I spoke really nicely to my wife on our wedding day. Do I really have to do it again? Only if you, you know, don't want to be killed in your sleep. Right? Habitually and repeatedly. It's great to have a specific victory. But to obey God's word is to do so habitually and repeatedly. And when we are told to obey or do the word of God, all of this applies. So I took all of that and I wrote it into what I think is a, a kind of summary definition. We are to repeatedly and habitually practice, commit to, abide in, agree with, continue in, observe, perform, and keep all of God's word. Say that three times fast. It's up there, isn't it? Yeah. It should be in your notes too. But for those who are listening online, we are to repeatedly and habitually practice, commit to, abide in, agree with, continue in, observe, perform, and keep all of God's word. Easy peasy, right? Now you all know what to do. We're going to be perfect Christians from here on out. We know from Matthew 7, 24 through 27, that Jesus compared the man who hears his sayings and does them to the wise man who built his house on the rock. Right? Doesn't just hear, but does. And he compared the foolish man to the one who hears, but doesn't do. Psalm 19, verse 7 through 11, and this is just beautiful. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and dripping of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. I say it all the time, and I'm always going to say it. We don't keep the Word of God to be saved. That's not how it works. We keep it because we are saved. And we don't do it on our own. Because, folks, this is an impossible command for us. We already know that. We already know that each and every one of us has at some point in time broken God's law has at some point in time disobeyed God's word. And if we're honest with ourselves, we're going to do it again. There's even a possibility we're going to do it again before we leave church today. But according to 1 Peter 1.22, we can do this through the Holy Spirit. And as I said at the beginning, we focus on this subject a lot. 
uh, over the last few weeks, and I think we have firmly established that we need to do more than just hear the word of God. But we need to obey his word as the Spirit empowers us to do so. And I think this is a two-part equation because it's, it's pretty clear. What does Jesus tell us? We don't just hear the word, but we do it. That's two parts. We can't obey God's word if we don't hear it. Now, we've talked about the obedience part. I want to talk about the hearing part. Last week, when we were in verse 18... It reads, therefore, take heed how you hear. And I did not focus on that statement last week because I knew I was going to talk about it this week. Take heed how you hear. So how do we hear? That verse 18 there um, in the New Living Translations, and I've added a couple of defining words for you, says this. So pay attention or beware to how you hear or what you give your attention to. Now, there are a lot of voices in this world that are competing for our attention. There are voices in the world that want to distract us. Right? I, I, I say quite often that I have attention deficit oh shiny disorder. I really don't think I have ADHD, um, but I do easily get distracted by things that are shiny. And what I mean by shiny, sometimes it's actually something that's shiny. You've seen it. We've been here before in church and a car is pulled into the parking lot and I'll do this because the sun reflected off the windshield. I get distracted by shiny things. But shiny can also be something new or something exciting or something tempting or something whatever. It's really easy to have some kind of thing just come across your path or a thought that goes across your mind or a giant banner that comes across your screen when you log into Amazon because Prime Days are coming. You all know Amazon Prime Days is a holiday. Just has to be something easy and distracting. But there are so many voices that are competing for our attention. There are the voices of our enemy that want to lie to us and derail us. We have our own voices. Anybody here ever discourage themselves with their own internal monologue? I do it. Man, I'm such an idiot. Oh, I'm so stupid. Why would God love me? Why is my wife married to me? I was at the grocery store the other day. This has nothing to do with my message, but it's funny. Um, I was at the grocery store the other day, and there's a nice young man who works there um, who I, I tend to talk to. I try to go through his line if he's checking out. Um, and uh, somehow, and I really don't remember how we got on the topic of marrying for money. Uh, and we Somehow we got on that topic, though. And I looked at him and I said, you know... Um, if you don't marry for money, you got to at least marry for looks, right? Um, and so I can never figure out my wife married me. I don't think I'm all that good looking, and I certainly don't have a lot of money. And so he looked at me and goes, so uh, I have a chance? <laughs> and he, he knows my wife because we've gone shopping many times together. He's met her. I'm like, I said, I think I'd have to fight you on that, but you might. You know? <laughs> I don't know. Um, but the point is, we can discourage ourselves. We can have the voice of other people, even sometimes well-meaning voices of other people who sound an awful like, an awful lot like the other voices that are competing for our attention. And we've all had that. You've experienced that. Somebody who's well-meaning, they want to encourage you. They have a desire to build you up and they just say everything wrong. I've been that person. I've done it. And I've had it done to me many times where I'll have somebody come up to me and I can tell their heart is genuine. They, they, they really are trying to help me. And everything they say is malarkey. But they're trying and they're making it worse. But at least they're trying. It's one of those situations where you don't get the A for effort. But we have all these voices. All these competing distractions. And what do they want? Every one of them wants our obedience. Maybe it's our own lust. Right? And it doesn't even have to be sexual. But just our own desire for something. It wants us to be obedient. 
Maybe it's a need and it's a genuine need and we're too impatient to wait for God to take care of it. So we try to do it on our own and we end up obeying our own voice instead of his. Or maybe it's an actual temptation. Maybe it's the voice of our enemy who's trying to get us to sin. And instead of obeying the voice of God, we obey that voice, even though we know it's wrong. Thankfully, we can repent and we can come back, but we have all of this competition. So what do we do with it? I'm glad you asked. We have to pay attention to how we hear. Now, there's a lot left note-wise, but I'm going to do my best to go through it quickly. Pause for left. Okay, thank you. Um, But it's important, and I want to do it all together. So how do we hear? First, we have to have an understanding of the Word of God, and then we have to learn how to listen. So that's the two sides of it. In order to learn how to hear, we have to have an understanding of the Word of God, and we have to learn how to listen. So we're going to start with an understanding of the Word of God, and in the next four minutes... I'm going to make sure you all perfectly understand the Bible. Are you ready? It's not going to happen. What I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a bunch of scripture connected with ideas that I want you to go home, read over, pray over, and meditate on. And then that will help you have a bit bit better understanding. So understanding the Word of God. The Word of God is the Logos. It is the reasoning, divine expression, and communication of God himself to us. And there's seven aspects of that that we are going to look at quickly. Right? First, Jesus is the Word. As the ultimate expression of who God is communicated to us, Jesus is the Word. John 1, 1 through 5, I'm not going to read it all, but in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Up in verse 14, it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the divine expression of who God is communicated to us. He is the Word. Two, the written Word of God is useful to us for every facet of our life, walk, and maturity in Christ. 2 Corinthians 3.16 tells us, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction that we can become mature. Number three, the Word of God is necessary for faith. A lot of people want to base their faith on experiences, And a lot of people want to base their faith on emotions. If you do that, your faith will let you down. And I'm going to tell you why. Because experiences change. And emotions change. And you may have a great experience on a Sunday morning that gives you an emotional high. And that's fantastic. It's awesome. But the next day, when you get to work and your boss yells at you, or the next day, when the doctor calls you back with the test results, or whatever it might be, your situation has changed, and your emotions have changed, and if your faith is based on that, then your faith will change. But, if your faith is based on the Word of God, Romans 10, 17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. When your faith is based on the Word of God, guess what, folks? It doesn't change. And so when your faith is based on something that doesn't change, then your faith can be unwavering. The Word of God is necessary for us to find our way. Psalm 24, 4-5 says, Show me your ways, O Lord, and teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth. Psalm 119, 105, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a life to my path, a light to my path. The word of God is essential in keeping us from sin. Psalm 119.11 Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. If you're struggling with a specific sin, find a scripture that speaks to it and memorize it. And then when the temptation for that specific sin comes up, quote that verse to yourself. You've heard that it was said that a man shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that if you so much as look at a woman, lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. That verse lives in the front of my brain. I quote it to myself multiple times a day. And I know, oh gosh, really? You're tempted that often? Yes. I don't know. 
not all guys like to be honest with this. I am tempted anytime my eyes are open. Yeah, John closed his eyes. Did it help? <laughs> right? Because it's everywhere. My wife and I were having this discussion. We stopped by the grocery store to pick up something yesterday, and we live in Gunnison, Colorado with Western Colorado University. And at Western Colorado University, there are a bunch of wonderful young men and young women who have come here to learn and get an education. And many of those young women do not know the ratio of the length of their shorts to the size of their rear end. And I'm not saying they all have big rear ends. I'm just saying, when you go into the grocery store and a 19-year-old girl is walking in front of you and, and her rear end is this long and her shorts are this long, it's kind of hard not to notice that. And I'm not saying I follow them around, you know, making barking noises or anything like that. I don't do that. But it's hard to see a, a, a young lady walk by. The first, and I'm, I'm dead serious because I'm a dad, the first thought that goes through my mind is, where is her father? It's the first thought that goes through my mind. And the second thought that goes through my mind is, I need to look at something else. Right? Because it happens. What was that? Pesto. Pesto? <laughs> But I keep God's word hidden in my heart because it's not the temptation is not going to come, but then I have a way to battle it. The word of God is eternal. Luke 21, 33, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. That is the unchanging nature of God's word. And then we never mess with or alter God's pure word. Both Proverbs 30, verses 5 and 6, as well as Revelation 22, 18 and 9, warn us that we do not mess with God's word. We don't change it. We don't take away from it. We don't add to it. It is his word. We don't take our opinions and try to make them fit into the Bible. But we let what the truth of the Bible teaches determine what our opinions are. There is not your truth and my truth and her truth and their truth. There is the truth and that truth is God's truth. And we don't get to mess with it. Thank you. Smell of the food's coming down the hallway. That's why the sermon's speeding up. That's why Hebrews 4.12 says that the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. We were talking about that this morning. How do we have discernment? How do we have discernment for the voices that are around us? How do we know if something is right or wrong or if the person speaking to us is well-meaning or not? We need to rely on the Holy Spirit taking the truth of his word and teaching us. That's where discernment comes from. And so then we have to listen to the word. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The word approval here does not mean we do this in order to get saved. I already said it once. Right? We are saved by grace through faith alone. This word speaks of us having an acceptable reputation before God. This is the fruit of our faith. This reputation is gained as we study God's word and we put it into practice as the Holy Spirit empowers. And so this is not just for pastors. It's not just for missionaries. It's not just for scholars or theologians or authors or whatever. It is for every single person who is a follower of Christ. And this is how we do it. Everything I'm about to tell you, you're going to probably look at me and kind of go, really? That's pretty simple. And it's, most of it's on the screen behind me or in your notes. Yeah, it's pretty simple because God makes it easy on us. Number one, read the word of God. Shocked, right? Shock and awe. Oh, wow. What an amazing concept. Yeah, read the word of God. 1 Timothy 4.13, till I come, give exhortation to reading, or give attention, sorry, to reading, exhortation and doctrine. Just read it. Just read it. Just read it. Sometimes just open the Bible and read it. It's good to have a plan. I encourage people to have a plan to systematically read through all of Scripture. But just read it. You have no idea 
How good that is for us. But then hear it. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. One of my favorite things to do, and I'll do this like if I'm exercising or if I'm cleaning the house or if I'm driving up to Crested Butte to see my wife, I have uh, several apps on my phone that have audio Bibles. I just turn it on. I mean, I don't do it every time. Sometimes I listen to music or sometimes I listen to a sermon or, or whatever, but sometimes I'm like, I just, I just need to hear it. Not me reading it, not me studying it, not me preparing a message. I just want to hear the word. And I'll just turn it on and listen. I'll sometimes do it in the bathroom. Too much information? Too bad! You can read the word anywhere. God doesn't care what you're doing. And so sometimes I, because I, like every other human on earth for the most part, takes my phone into the bathroom with me. I'm checking email. <laughs> that comedian's funny. Um, but sometimes I will, and I'll just, I'll just turn it on and listen. Just hear it. Study it. Acts 17.11, speaking of those in Berea. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. I want you to take everything I've told you today and then go home and study it yourself. Take the scriptures, look them up, pray over them, compare them to one another, get a commentary about it, but do it yourself. Not because I think I'm wrong, but because you need to make sure I'm not. Because if you're going to listen to me, and you're going to come week after week, and you're going to trust that what I'm telling you is right, and I hope you do, because I try really hard, but I'm human. I can make a mistake. I'm human. I will make a mistake. But if you're studying it for yourself, and you come to me and you go, you know, you said this about this verse, and I looked it up, and I looked up some other verses, and I read some commentaries, and I'm kind of thinking maybe that wasn't quite right on. I'd love to sit with you and have that conversation if you come to me with the word. Now, sometimes people go, I didn't like what you said this morning. Well, <laughs> that's different. If you don't like it, do you not like it because you know it's true and you don't like that truth? Or do you not like it because I said something wrong? Those are two very different things. But if I, if I make a mistake, come to me. But the only way you're going to know is if you're studying the word on your own. At the treasury, and I've used this before, they do not teach people who are looking for counterfeit bills to identify ideas or, or, or uh, identifying things on a counterfeit bill. What do they do? They give them the real thing. And they get so familiar with the real thing that the moment they, they come across one that's fake, they know. And they don't know that it's wrong because it's wrong. They know it's wrong because they know what's supposed to be right. It's no different for us. I'll have people ask me, how do you know that that person's a false teacher? Because I heard them say this, and that's not what the Bible says. It's always that simple. It's not because I don't like them, or because I think something that they said was, or convicted me, and I don't want to be convicted, or, or whatever it might be. When I hear somebody talk about the Bible, and I hear something wrong, I will go find the scripture to make sure I'm not off base. And then I don't listen to that person anymore. Because, like, I love listening to sermons. And I love listening to sermons from people all around because there's people all around. I mean, you go on the internet, you could find 25 million sermons this afternoon with a Google search. Some of them are going to be awesome. Some of them aren't. And the only way you're going to know the difference is if you know what this teaches. And you know it for yourself. Number four, we memorize the word of God, which I said earlier about hiding the word in our heart. Colossians 3.16 tells us to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And the word of Christ dwells in you richly when you memorize it. We meditate on it. Joshua 1.8 tells us to meditate in the law day and night. Psalm 1, 1 through 3 tells us that we delight in the law of the Lord, and in his law we meditate day and night. 
Now, what's the difference between memorization and meditation? Well, they can work hand in hand, but you can take a scripture and the word for meditate comes from the idea of a cow chewing the cud. I don't know what God was thinking with cows. Now, they taste good. And so whatever he did clearly works. But a cow eats something and then throws it up in their mouth and chews on it for a while. Potluck soon, right? Then they swallow it into a different stomach and then they throw it up and chew on it for a while. And they do this. What do they have? Four stomachs, right? Four stomachs. So they do that at least four times. That's disgusting. But man, we had meatloaf last night. So good. That's what we do with the word of God. You can take a scripture. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And then later on, when you have a moment, you can, you know, this morning I was thinking about that scripture. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. What does that mean? And you just bring it up again and again and again. What I do uh, quite often is I either write it down on something or I write it as a note in my phone or if it's something I really need to focus on, like right now I don't have my phone or I'd show it to you, uh, the, ba- the background banner on my phone is Jehovah Nisi. The Lord is my banner been on my phone all week because I needed to hear that and I have been meditating on that just that name comes from Exodus chapter 17 but that the Lord is my banner I just over and over and over again I've been pulling that back out and chewing on it meditate apply the word of God Philippians 4 9 says keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me everything you heard from me and saw me doing then the God of peace will be with you. What is it? Because it's great to hear the word, to memorize it, to meditate on it, to study it, but it's meaningless if you don't put it into practice. Think of a person standing on a train track. And somebody nearby goes, the train's coming! And the person on the train track goes, okay, let me think about this. I know what a train is. I understand that when you say the train is coming, that that means that a train is now approaching the location where I'm at. And the person yells, get off the track or you'll get hit. Okay, I understand. I'm standing on the track where the train is approaching. And you're telling me that I should move off of the track or there may be dire consequences. Hmm. I understand everything you're saying and I appreciate it. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to meditate on this for the next couple hours and see what happens. What happens if he doesn't put it into practice? Squish. You know, ooey gooey was a worm. A mighty worm was he. He crawled upon the railroad track. The train he did not see. Ooey gooey. You can know it You can understand it. You can comprehend it. You can repeat it. You can think on it, but until you put it into practice, it doesn't do you any good. Just think about the gospel. I know that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. Great! What do you do with it? Have you repented and given your life to Christ? Because if not, just knowing it doesn't help. Verse 7, we share the word with others. So in Matthew 28 told us, uh, Jesus told us in Matthew 28 to go make disciples of all the world, teaching them to observe what he commanded. 1 Peter 3.15 says, In your heart, honor Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to, ans- to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you, but do it with gentleness and respect. All right, we're going to close. This, my beloved brothers and sisters, is a tall order. I am very aware of that. What we are commanded to do in the word regarding the word is impossible for us to do on our own. We can't do it on our own. In speaking of salvation in Matthew 19, 26, Jesus said to his disciples, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Just like we cannot save ourselves but must rely upon the grace of God to give us the free gift of salvation when we believe in Jesus, neither can we as followers of Christ obey the word of God on our own. But we can only do so as we rely upon God through his spirit to help us. And even then in our sinful nature, there will be plenty of times when we fail, but this failure is not final. 
And when we fail, we return to God in repentance, we receive his forgiveness and cleansing, and by his grace and strength, we move forward. I know. I kind of had an information um, uh, stomach virus this morning. It just all had to come out. And I know it's a lot, and that's why I encourage you to take it home, pray on it. Think on it. Meditate on it. Take one of the scriptures we talked about today and memorize it. But you gotta got to do it on your own. And I know not on your own. You do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. What I meant by that is I can't do it for you. Just like you can't do it for me. But I promise, just like we read in, oh gosh, which psalm was it? I gotta go all the way back and find this. Hold on. Or maybe not. Okay, one of the verses we read today said that there's great reward in studying the word. Um, I encourage you to go back and find it because I can't. So, my closing questions. Number one. The first and most important thing we obey from God's word is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The fact that Jesus died on the cross and rose again and that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. Forgiveness of sins. Freedom. Purpose. Hope. So if there's anybody here, if there's anybody listening, or anybody who hears this recording later on, and you have never obeyed the gospel, you've never given your life to Christ, get in touch with us, let me know. I would love to talk to you about that. Second, what practices can we put in place to help us grow in our knowledge, understanding, and application of Scripture? And I'm not telling you all that you're not doing this. I'm not telling you all that you're doing it wrong. I'm just telling you, because I know it's true for me and it's true for all of us, that we need to do it more. Can't do it enough. It's not like you can go, all right, I read enough of the Bible today. No, you didn't. I read, I prayed enough today. No, you didn't. I walked with Jesus plenty today. No, you didn't. You didn't. Neither did I. It's never going to happen. Right? I loved my kids enough. I'm done for the day. No, you don't. You, you don't stop loving your kids. Right? Uh, maybe sometimes they make you mad, but you don't stop loving them. You can't do it enough. And all I'm suggesting is that you do more intentionally. Not to earn God's favor, not to make yourself more saved than the person next to you, but because the closer we draw to him, the better off we're going to be. And finally, are you prepared to do are you prepared to and do you take the opportunity to share the words with others? Share the word with others. Do you share the word of God with people around you? I'm not saying you have to open it up and read them a chapter. I'm not saying you have to give them an a hour and three minute sermon. I'm not saying you have to do that. But if somebody's nearby and, and, and you have the opportunity, do you know how much God loves you? That's sharing the word. Do you know that Jesus died for you? You know, I will pray for you because I, got, I know God wants to do a work in your life. Any of those is a way to share the word of God. In 2 Peter 1, 2 through 3, I promise, I'm really close. Grace and peace be multiplied to you and the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord as his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. 2 Peter three eighteen. you therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. How do we remain steadfast? How do we avoid being led away with the error of the wicked? We grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. It's that simple. Everything we need to live a life of godliness comes through knowledge of our God and Savior. And we are commanded to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Savior. And I know that Bible study does not come easily or naturally to most of us. But if you're interested in growing in your understanding of the Bible and understanding how to read, study, meditate, memorize, and so forth, the Word of God, please let me know. I will gladly help you. And if enough people want to know, maybe we'll do a class. We'll just do a class and I'll teach folks how to study the Bible. It's so much fun. You think I get a little theologically nerded out on Sunday mornings? If we do a class like that, you're going to see a side of me that you... It's a little frightening. Because I love studying the Bible. And I love helping others understand it. And the greatest thing that I could ever do for you 
is not to teach you on Sunday mornings, but it's to teach you how to understand it for yourself. That, that would have so much more benefit. It's the whole teach a man to fish, right? Give a man a fish and he eats for a day. Teach a man to fish and he eats for a lifetime. I can give you a fish every Sunday, but you got to fish for yourselves too. And it's so good. You guys hungry? Let's pray. Father, we love you. And we give you all the glory for how good you are to each of us. And Father, I thank you for how much you love us and that you've given us your word so that we can know you. I pray that you would help us to do that. Help us to know you. Help us to grow in your grace and knowledge and be glorified in us in Jesus' name. Amen.